1990, as the world was beginning to change after the fall of the Berlin Wall, a political scientist named Joseph Nye wrote a book that made a distinction between types of power in international politics. On the one hand, he named something he called hard power. Hard power is by nature coercive. It is the type of power that comes when one nation exerts its will over another by the use of military or economic dominance. Through hard power, one nation is able to control the actions of another by means of incentives and threat. The poor, more powerful nation can say to the other, if you do what we want, then good things like economic development can happen. But if you do not do what we want, then bad things can happen like economic sanction or military action. Nye contrast, contrasted hard power with another type of power, a type of power that he called soft power. Soft power is more subtle and far more elusive than hard power. Soft power is by nature non-coercive. It works by means of attraction and appeal. Soft power's potential resides in a nation's cultural and political values and through foreign policies that suggest credibility and legitimacy. With soft power, one nation affects others by making them want what the one nation wants. It is a, a type of propaganda without propaganda. As examples, you might see the power of concepts like human rights or economic opportunity as attractive and thus worthy of emulating and adopting. I bring up these concepts of hard versus soft power because I, I think they help to illuminate a bit about what is going on in this morning's gospel lesson. I say this because we can read this portion of Mark's gospel through a lens of an analysis of power. In fact, one might look at the whole of the gospel of Mark as a reflection on power. To see this, one must recognize that up until this point in Mark's gospel, we have seen Jesus use both hard and soft power. But here, in this lesson, another sort of power, a more mysterious power, emerges. Now, we may not think of Jesus as using coercive or hard power, but he does. For while it's true that Jesus does not use hard power against people, he never coerces people. Jesus does use coercive control against so-called cosmic powers like demons and a storm. So for instance, Jesus exercises demons and thus commands them to come out of human beings who are being afflicted by the spirits. Jesus calms a storm by the power of his command when the storm threatens to swamp and submerge a boat that he and the disciples are sailing in. These examples reveal Jesus's power over those forces 
that would look to strip human, human beings of our dignity or to overwhelm us in their ferocity. But more often than hard power, Jesus uses soft power that attracts people to him. Jesus heals and forgives and feeds. Jesus welcomes and teaches. Jesus invites people to turn away from all of the things in their lives that strip their lives of dignity and meaning, and then to turn toward God in God's kingdom of love, mercy, and grace. The, the thesis statement for Jesus's ministry is, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. The power of this declaration is the attraction of a new and transformed life. And in all of this, Jesus exercises his power by giving it away and does not impose conditions on the giving. But when we turn to this morning's gospel lesson, lesson like I said, something new emerges. This morning, we are witness to an argument between Jesus and Peter about the nature of the Messiah or Christ, and thus an argument about the nature of power. Just before these events, Jesus asks the disciples the question, who do you say that I am? And in response, Peter proclaims, you are the Messiah, which means Christ or anointed one. But what Peter means by Messiah and what Jesus means by Messiah are, are radically different and even diametrically opposed. To Peter, the Messiah will be the one chosen by God to be a warrior king who will liberate the Jewish people from their sub subjugation and oppression by the Roman Empire. Peter envisions a king who will restore the people to their promised land and restore the fortunes of the descendants of Abraham. Peter hopes Jesus will use hard power to overthrow the Romans and then soft power to unite the people. In contrast, Jesus has a different view of the Messiah's fate. Jesus matter-of-factly tells his disciples that as the Messiah, Jesus must undergo great suffering, be rejected by the religious establishment, be executed, and only then to be raised on the third day. None of this fits Peter's vision of what the Messiah should do. Instead of the triumph that Peter hopes for, Jesus puts forth suffering. Instead of an embrace by the official representatives of God, Jesus puts forth rejection. Instead of a coronation, Jesus puts forth death. This does not look like power to Peter. It looks like defeat. It looks like failure. It looks like foolishness and weakness. To Peter, Jesus seems out of control, and so he confronts and rebukes Jesus. But Jesus cannot entertain Peter's misunderstanding, not even for a moment and not even a little bit. It's jarring to hear Jesus say to Peter, get behind me, Satan. But there can be no middle ground between Peter's view and Jesus. 
And when Jesus tells Peter to get behind him, he's telling him to follow, to adopt the position appropriate for the disciple. And what's more, Jesus invites Peter to, to leave behind his vision of the power of the Messiah and to come and share God's vision. Jesus invites Peter and anyone who will listen to see beyond both hard and soft power and instead to see the power in solidarity, in service, in compassion, and in love. The, the power that Jesus has as the Messiah most clearly manifests itself as the self-giving love of the cross. It never manifests itself as the ability to kill, but rather as the capacity to die for others. And yet, as the resurrection reveals, this capacity to die is also always the ability to give and share life. As Jesus walks the way of the cross, Jesus reveals a power that we struggle to recognize and understand. Jesus assumes the suffering and alienation of humanity and stands in solidarity with us. Jesus goes down into the depths of our brokenness and estrangement and bears them as his own so that we might be healed. Jesus walks this path, of, path in solidarity with us out of compassion for us. Jesus does this because he loves us, because God loves us. And ultimately, this is God's power, the power of self-giving love. But more than this, the self-giving love of God is not meant to, to leave us unchanged, but invites us to come and share as we come to catch a glimpse of the power of God's self-giving love revealed in the way of the cross that Jesus walks, then we are called to take up our own cross and follow Jesus. To trust in Jesus means to follow where he leads and walk the way of self-giving love. The power of this way may, may seem like diminishment. It may seem like weakness and foolishness, it may seem like the path of death, but as challenging as it may be, Jesus affirms that this is the way that leads to life. For Jesus declares, for those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel will save it. So, the invitation this morning is to behold a different way, a different power. The invitation is to behold the power of self-giving love and then learn this way as one moves through the world. For this is the way of life. And indeed, this self-giving love is the power of God. Amen.